Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm your host, Scott Livingston, and this is where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter, Built by Scott, and Instagram at King O'Kane, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page, Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to empower and inspire a community of people who take every opportunity to live a high-performing life. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. If you're in human performance today, you recognize that the industry has changed. Gone are the days of highly focused specialists who live in their isolated lanes, working without the understanding of the whole human being. The world of human performance is about integration today. It's about recognizing what your client needs to do to perform at their highest potential, discovering the parts of the puzzle of performance that need work, while keeping this person moving, training, performing, and succeeding seamlessly. Reconditioning is an operating system for this new world of human performance. The practice honors the role of each specialization and helps define the most powerful and tactical use of interventions that will make a difference. You don't take your car to the garage only when it's broken. You schedule for regular maintenance so that it keeps running smoothly when you need it. The human body is no different and reconditioning professionals are those best prepared to keep the human body running. Check out our courses at ReconditioningHQ.com today. Follow our robust educational programming and become the reconditioning professional everyone wants to work with. Matrix Fitness is one of the world's leading edge manufacturers and suppliers of human performance equipment. I am proud to have them as a sponsor of the Leave Your Mark podcast because I know they are dedicated to getting more people moving. Movement is medicine. All humans are designed to move. And if this pandemic has taught us anything, it's that we need movement more today than ever. Stuck in our homes, restricted from much of what we have done socially, getting physical by any means possible is essential. Whether you are at home and looking for equipment that will keep you moving, or you train people for a living, Matrix is there to provide you with the equipment you need to succeed and the advice to make it happen. Matrix has more than 500 products catering to the medical, fitness, and athletic performance markets. Matrix also delivers a wide range of complete programming solutions to build strength, explosiveness, speed, and agility in athletes of all kinds. In this last year, Matrix engaged performance coach Mark Fitzgerald as head of the Matrix Canada performance team to help you make the right decisions on your performance needs. For more information and a free consult, go to teamupwithmatrix.com forward slash CA today. Hey there. If you've been pondering taking the leap into reconditioning or you have done reconditioning before and you just need to upgrade or take the next step, just want to let you know a few of the things that are going on and that are changing in the reconditioning world. Uh, First and foremost, we have added applied neurology to all of our courses. It's uh, turbocharged the process. Really, if you're not addressing the neurological system, you're missing one of the most important aspects of um, reconditioning and rehabilitation and training uh, that's out there. Fundamentally, for years, we've all ignored that central governing system. Uh, in favor of working on the musculoskeletal and the biomechanics. And we've got to get that neuro piece in there. Uh, And reconditioning has brought that to the table. So that's a big change. The other big change, everything we have is online. You can digest at your own pace all three courses. The third course has material online and there's a live part that brings us all together, uh, the reconditioning collab. R1 and R2 are completely online and available to you to digest. And what we've changed now that we think is going to make a huge difference is normally when you take one of these courses, it's like drinking from a fire hose, a lot of information, whether you're doing it online or live. And now what we're going to do is we're going to have these eight-week rolling training programs that are going to go over eight weeks. Once a week, we're going to meet and walk through all the materials so you really get a good feeling for it. You can ask your questions as you roll along and get through the material on your own. It gives you some accountability on a week-to-week basis. Um, We're going to roll these over a few times in the year. So if you can't make one, you can make another one. If you can miss one meeting one time, you can watch it in another circulation. And on top of that, we're going to record it all so you'll have access to it. And the only preface to accessing it is we want you to become a member of the reconditioning 
Revolution Mastermind Community. That's starting March 28th, and so is our first R1 Foundations eight-week training program. And in that mastermind, which is effectively a separate program, but it is associated with, it's 20 bucks a month. We're going to meet once a week. We're going to do case studies, guest interviews, guest presentations, Q&A sessions. We're going to roll through a calendar of events every month. You'll have access to that for 20 bucks a month along with a series of videos and uh, all kinds of materials that we've acquired and housed and saved in our um, web portal. And we're going to continue to grow that along with the outcomes of some of these different labs. You'll have access to all that, and really it's about networking, connecting, bringing the community together, uh, connecting on a regular basis. So within that mastermind community, we'll roll these lab programs that we're going to do for each course, R1, R2, and R3, in those masterminds. So if you're in the course, you get to come and hang out and you know, get your questions answered, see how other people are using the material, etc. So it's really about everybody learning to use reconditioning and to make it empower their practice. The other a big a piece of news, uh, the reconditioning um, HQ.com is hosting the International Hockey Performance Summit. It is June 10th to 12th in Mont-Tremblant, Quebec. We are going to rock the world of hockey performance. If you are interested in hockey performance in any way, whether you're a therapist or a training professional, this is where you want to be June 10 to 12 in Mont-Tremblant. You want to check out any of that, you can go to reconditioninghq.com and check out the IHPS page. All the information is there, and we look forward to seeing you in Mont-Tremblant, Quebec this summer. All right, enough of that. Let's get on to podcast. Hello, and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Rhonda Shishkin. Rhonda is a physiotherapist and athletic therapist currently working in private practice with Craven Sports Services in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. She's been the therapist for the Canadian Women's National Basketball Team and the head therapist of the University. University of Saskatchewan Huskies for 21 years. She's been in high-level Canadian sports for much of her career and has been a mentor and educator in countless young performance for professionals through her career. She is married to her husband, Ryan, of 30 years. I'm pleased to have her on the show today. Welcome, Rhonda. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, well, thanks for taking the time. Um, Bruce Craven said, you know, I should interview you. And I was like, uh, okay, well, I like that. I like when I get recommendations. And obviously, you've been in this craft for a long time and have a, a wealth of history. So I always start with going back to the beginning. What, what, Where did you grow up and what were you dreaming about being when you were a little girl? Well, I grew up here in Saskatoon. So I've kind of gone full circle, left and came back. Um, when I grew up, my background was dance and music, um, really wasn't sport. And I thought I was going to be a dance teacher, you know, when you go with your mentors at that time. And, and I had uh, Kathy Bond was my dance teacher. And I got to do some um, teaching of the younger kids, you know, three years, four year olds. And that's what I thought I was going to do, much to my mom's thought of, why would you do that? <laughs> so um, that was at the beginning. It was, you know, dancing five days a week and being involved in band and music. So I was really involved in the arts when I started. Wow. And you say much to the chagrin of your mom, she she didn't want you to take dancing as a as a profession, so to speak. And why? I think she just knew the amount of work that it went into making a studio run and that mm. it's always evenings and weekends, which I was like, that sucks, but I'm in sport. So that's evenings <laughs> and weekends. Right. And, um, and she, I think she just saw the challenges with running a dance studio and, um, and thought that, you know, if you love it, you love it, but boy, it's a hard way to make a living. So when did you pivot for, and for what reason did you decide not to continue on that journey and go in a different direction? Well, it's interesting because my dance instructor brought in chiropractors and physiotherapists into our dance class. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when I look back to what she was doing with us way back then, I think she was ahead of her time. You know, the chiropractor came in and talked about posture and, and some things related to health. And it was 
kind of just like an interesting in-service. So when I was in high school, I started uh, tried out for the basketball team. And that was sort of my first thing with sport. And I had done sport before, but it always got trumped by um, by music. And so in, in the summertime, you'd be outside playing softball, but it was also Music Fest. So I chose Music Fest. But then in high school, when I got involved with basketball, I really, really liked basketball. And then playing on the senior team, grade 11 and 12, I had uh, um, a great um, senior women's basket or senior girls basketball coach. And she was the partner of the women's basketball um, University of Saskatchewan basketball team. It's partner. Mm. And so um, I hadn't really decided what I wanted to do for school and where I wanted to go. And I remember my coach, Pat Wagner, signed me up to go on campus and sit in in a phys ed class as you could do all the different tours and go to the different colleges. And she said to me, you should go and do phys ed. And my thought was, why would I want to do phys ed? I don't want to be a phys ed teacher. Um, but she signed me up and the course we got to go to was an advanced exercise physiology class. Mm. And in that they were doing scuba. And I was like, this is phys ed. This is really interesting. And I was able to kind of see what what the opportunities were in sort of a different health science college that never even really interested me and it was just like this is this is really quite interesting I actually tried out for our basketball team at the University of Saskatchewan didn't make it but then through that relationship with my high school coach the University of Saskatchewan coach said to me well I understand you're interested in doing some stuff like this would you want to stay on and be our trainer and I was like okay what does that mean (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I got introduced to Peter Friesen and he was in the position at the university at that time. And I basically just sort of started hanging out with him and being in the clinic, working with the women's basketball program at the U of S. And I actually went into arts and science at first. And after my first year, I was like, I'm not taking more arts and science. Um, didn't know what I would want to take further, but kind of knew by this time, I think I want to go in and do uh, do physiotherapy. And so mm-hmm. I transferred into phys ed in my second year and then continued on working with the programs on campus, being a trainer for the women's basketball team and working with Peter Friesen. Wow. So tell me about working with Pete, like uh, Pete's a frenetic character and <laughs> and he's probably uh, tempered a little bit in his old age now but I've known him for a long time but what was what was your first uh, introduction to him and, and and what what inspired you about him when you started working with him Pete was passionate and intense mm-hmm. all in the same time right everything was exciting everything was really cool check this out have you seen that what about this like holy crow what does that you know what does that mean to you to see something like that and it was just always um so interesting and and just such high intensity at uh, at the trainer's room. I mean, he was there by himself with all the university sports teams. There was a group of us students around, um, a small group compared to what you know was there when I left the program. But everybody that was there was just doing as much as they could to support the teams, volunteering. You wanted to hang out in the clinic. And for me, the thing about Pete was just like, if he didn't know about it, why wouldn't you learn about it? Get out a textbook, go find something, go see what mm. you can find on this. And mm. it was always just that kind of passion and dedication to, to um, doing the best, you know, for these athletes. And then I think he was really that person that I felt if you showed up and did a good job, Pete had all the time in the world for you, mm. right? If you showed passion and you showed interest, he mentored you, he found time for you. And I think I really found a, a real cool place and a fun place to be. And that's for me kind of what struck my passion in sort of in physiotherapy and athletic therapy. Um, you know, cause his background was diverse as well too. Right. Mm-hmm. And coming in from, you know, he had uh had his um, education degree and then he had his physio and it was just that passion he had for learning that I really Mm. took from him. That's awesome. Um, So you're working as a trainer. What's, 
What's the scariest thing that happens to you while you're working as a trainer? That uh, do you ever have a moment love? Oh my goodness, what am I got? What have I got myself into? Or was it pretty, uh, pretty low key while you were working as a trainer with basketball during those days? Yeah, my experiences with women's basketball were really positive um, in that you know I knew the coach a little bit coming into it, and uh, and we had a very young team, and so when I first started, like the whole team was rookies, so there wasn't those veteran athletes that you know kind of put young trainers in their place a little bit. Um, so I had a really great experience with them, but I'm sure like. Certainly, you know, a couple of times you don't know what the heck you're doing and somebody comes up to you and just sprained their ankle and it's the size of your head. I didn't know what to do with that. Right? <laughs> um, you know, like I can get you some ice, you know, and, and all those kind of first years were like you had to wait and go back and talk to Pete and then come back and talk to the athlete. Right. Because you just I didn't know what to do at that time. And it's kind of funny because Pete said, you know, you need a good first aid course. And so he said. Um, you should go and take the um, the ski patrol first aid course. It's a great course, and they do so much um, splinting and all these sorts of things. It would be wonderful. So I went and took the ski patrol first aid course in Saskatchewan and got certified on the Blackstrap Hill in Saskatoon to be a downhill um, ski first aid person. And so I actually worked out at the as a ski patroller out in Blackstrap Hill in Saskatchewan for a number of Monday nights because Pete said, go take first aid. And I did it all the way. I did the whole thing, got certified on a skidoo and away you go. And I don't know if you know your listeners know Saskatchewan Blackstrap Hill. It takes about four seconds to get to the bottom. Um, but I was out there and, and doing that. And that's just sort of my ability to say, okay, at least I can handle first aid. You know, I might not know what to do, but I can do that. And so, you know, you get a dislocated finger, you get a sprained ankle and you're, you know, you pretty quickly, you want to have a little bit of skill to be able to not look like an idiot in front of these, these student athletes and be able to do something for them. Mm -hmm. So when you finally, so I guess this circuitously brings you into physiotherapy and what do you fall in like with slash love with in physiotherapy as you go into it from an educational standpoint? I think for me, um, actually having some of that knowledge from the classroom, the sciences, sort of those basic sciences, apply to the body. And I, I enjoyed the anatomy classes and those sorts of things, but I really enjoyed the movement classes. And um, for me, some of it that I really kind of latched onto was some of the stuff in the neurophysiotherapy and, um, and looking at, at those patterns. And I think for me, it was a little surprising to be, okay, I, I thought I wanted to go in sport. I, I thought I really wanted to do this orthopedic route and then just sort of get so attached to how the neuro rehab played into it, right? Mm. And being able to kind of learn that that sort of diverse um, background and, and, you know, a knee's just not a knee. A knee mm. has connections to the brain. Knee has connections to the, how the rest of the body moves. And I think that was what most intrigued me and really tied nicely into, um, like, my phys ed degree, right, when mm. you're doing all the movements and you have to take basketball and volleyball and the biomechanics. And then I think it was just a great integration for me of the things I loved about the movement science and then mm. being able to put the body into it as well. So while you were going, you were, were going through physiotherapy at USASC, correct? Is that yep. where you, yeah. And as you're going through it, you continue to work as a trainer with the teams? Yeah. My first year of physio was my first year of football. Mm-hmm. And it was also the year, and I'm still doing music, that I did my grade 10, grade 10 piano exam. And so <laughs> it was still kind of like, you know, I was practicing a lot to finish off that performance exam. And it was just one of those things that I wanted to finish sort of that part of the music. And I got into physio and I was like, well, I, I can finish this off. So I was doing that. I hadn't finished my phys ed degree. So I was trying to kind of pick up those classes and kind of finish it at the same time. But essentially there was um, two of us, myself and Dale Petura were both in, in Mm. physio together and we both went to phys ed or to um, the football field every day. And that was sort of what we did is you went from school to football for me to piano to home. um, And you just kind of repeated through the season. So I did the foot. I worked with the football team, my three years through, um, through um, my physio schooling as well. So it was busy, but I don't know, busy people get things done and it was just something that we did. (laughs) 
So you, you finish and um, what keeps you, keeps you in it in the sense that you decide you're going to make a, a professional vocation of it? Like do you decide you want to go clinically or you're going to try to figure out how you do this professionally or in a team? Like what's your brain thinking about what am I going to do when I finish school? I want peace job. That's what I wanted. <laughs> and so that was really my goal was to try and figure out how to have that job at the University of Saskatchewan and work with mm. the athletics program. Um, and so that's sort of what led me down the athletic therapy route as well mm. is we had that opportunity at this time, Peter Friesen is gone and, and Jason Peeler is working and he's an athletic therapist. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that was my first exposure to athletic therapy in Saskatchewan is we just didn't really have anybody that was doing that um, kind of like, like Jason was. And so when he came in and uh, I kind of learned, you know, what is athletic therapy? What is he doing? Um, at that time, you could challenge the exam. If you had your degree, you didn't have to go to one of the accredited institutions. And, uh, and in my desire to try and have enough credentials or to be the one that they chose um, to get that job, um, you know, Pete's job basically at the university is I, you know, kind of finished up that athletic therapy exam process as well. Mm-hmm. And all with the goal of being able to be a female working Mm -hmm. in that university sports setting. And so um, for me, I didn't get it right off the bat. You know, I ended up doing some other jobs for a couple of years, but, you know, was fortunate enough when the position came open again, I was able to get into um, the job that was really my dream job. And then I spent over 20 years there. Well, talk about the, the female perspective. You're, you know, you're growing up in this industry when there were less females and it's kind of funny when I was younger I noticed a real shift to females getting more and more into the called the athletic therapy sort of part of the industry versus the classic clinical physiotherapy side of Mm -hmm. things and you're you know you didn't necessarily have a lot of uh inspire inspiration oh women to look up to not that there weren't them but that the, there they were fewer fewer and further between so what made you think you could do it in essence or or made you believe that this was possible for you yeah there's a couple people like liz harrison was in the college um a physical therapy and had gone to the olympics so it's like hey there's someone to look up to marlis misfeld is a physician here again who's being really involved in sports so there were a couple people but i think the thing that motivated me a bit was within the student trainer program when i was there with pete is we had another female student trainer um that was there who to me was somebody that I looked up to, right? She'd worked with football. She'd worked with hockey. She'd, you know, work with these men's sports. But then after the university, there was no opportunities for Mm. her. You know, she was going to go and work with the CFL team. And it's like, oh, the clubhouse isn't really set up for you. And she applied Mm. for a job, um, you know, with like a a midget AAA hockey team. And they're like, well, why would a female want to work with the guys team? Like, Mm. why would you want to do that? And so when I saw her experiences and, and the challenges that she had, um, getting in the door, my thought was like, okay, well, how am I going to make this happen for myself? Mm-hmm. And coming, you know, growing up for me, it wasn't even something that I considered that there wouldn't be those opportunities. Cause I have a mom who's like, if you want to do it, just go do it. Mm-hmm. And if you want to do it, make sure you have enough credentials and enough experiences that they can't pick you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so she was, you know, very much for me, my feminist role model. She's somebody who, you know, back when uh, she graduated from high school, her and some friends went and toured Europe together, you know, mm-hmm. a group of four women, girls right out of high school. And people didn't do that then, but mm-hmm. she did. And so for me, I just said to her, you know, I don't know what I'll, what I need to do to kind of be able to get that job. And she's like, well, have enough experience and I have enough credentials that they can't not give it to you. And mm-hmm. so that's what I did. And that's sort of when I started, like I volunteered for everything. I was mm-hmm. at everything I was seen. And when some of the, you know, we call them kind of our local Saskatchewan gurus were out covering events and they invited people, I went, you know, I hung out with um, with Liz, and I hung out with Chuck Armstrong, and I made sure that people knew who I was, and that I was interested and keen, and then just sort of waited for those doors to open, and and then came to the table, you know, sort of with all of that experience, and with my athletic therapy, and with my physiotherapy, so that I could, you know, say, you, I have more experience, you should be hiring me, I can do sport. Was there ever a time where you 
thought about giving it up because it was too hard or or that never really struck you or came across your mind? You know, I, I didn't. And I don't know whether that's just being naive or whether it was just really being the beneficiary of having some doors open for me at some really appropriate times or opportune times, and then taking advantage of that, and then just kind of getting into that next step, doing some more work, and then having another opportunity fall my way. And so I certainly felt it with some of my colleagues, um, you know, that I graduated from, from school with that weren't getting opportunities, but I've just been really fortunate that that I've had some of those doors open and I haven't, you know, been super disappointed um, and have been able to kind of work my way into some of these opportunities. So I feel really fortunate that way. Very cool. How do you end up getting, um, getting involved with Basketball Canada? One of those fortunate situations because um, at the university, so Lisa Tomitis, who just who was the head coach just recently and was at uh, Canada Basketball for quite a few years, got a job in uh, Saskatchewan as the women's basketball program head coach there. And I had already been the head therapist at the University of Saskatchewan for a year. And so there was an opportunity when the women's national team needed somebody to cover a camp in Kitchener-Waterloo. And Lisa said, well, I don't know what Rhonda's doing in the summer, but maybe she'll come out. And so I got a call that said, "Are you? you know, could you come out here and do this for a couple of weeks? And I said, absolutely. Again, one of those opportunities where you're like, well, this is perfect. I'm going to make this happen. So I went and um, basically sat on the gym floor for a summer for a couple of weeks in July in uh, at Laurier University and had the door open for me. And then I think you just, you show that initiative, you do everything you can, you make a mark and then you get invited back. And so I was very fortunate that, you know, I knew somebody or somebody knew me. There was a, an opening. I was able to make it work with my schedule. And then I just sort of went and did that. And from there I had more opportunities with that program. Hmm. What if you, I've asked this to a few people who've worked, um, you know, both in men and women's sports over the years. What, what have you found the big differences in the way you either had to deport yourself or operate in each environment differently? Or did you? Did you find that working with women and men was the same in essence? Or did you find that you had to operate in a different way? For me, I think it, it it was different. And I spent, like I started with our basketball, or pardon me, the Husky football program in 92. And I was there until um, 2018. So mm-hmm. I spent a lot of years in male locker rooms, training rooms um, with that program with and a football with a real diverse group of men, right? Everything, mm-hmm. you know, there's 80 to 100 people on the team. There's all sorts of personalities. And for me, coming into their environment is, I think I have to remember that I'm coming into a male locker room. And certainly I was never... Um, you know, disrespected or ways that you would worry about coming into a male locker room. But I had to recognize that this is their place. And it's Mm. for me to kind of fit into that. And um, when I was there, I, I mean, at the beginning, I got an education on, you know, coming, growing up in a house that, you know, had, I had a sister, I had a a much younger brother um, coming into a male locker room. It was an education. I had not um, experienced much of that in my life. And so being in that room, I had to have a little bit of a thick skin to things Mm -hmm. that I heard. I had to um, sort of block some things out that I was like, this has nothing to do with me. And I really have no comment about it and be able to just kind of fit in in a way that um, showed that I was able to chat with them, listen to them, hear what they wanted to do, understand their challenges within their particular team environment, and then work to help them reach their goals. And I think working in the women's environment, again, much smaller team for me, right? Now we're talking about, you know, 12 to 15 athletes. Um, I think the difference was just, you know, the locker room obviously was more comfortable for me in the environment because it's it's sort of that female environment that I was used to. But I think that um, the... The pressures in that um, team environment and what somebody experiences female to male, they're all real to them. And it's just hearing that story and hearing the things that are important to them and and getting that information from them um, that I have to do in each environment. And it's just the environment that makes those conversations a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Quick break here and we'll be back in a couple of seconds with our podcast guest. Are you in the world of human performance? 
or do you seek to perform at your best each day physically and mentally? Matrix Fitness is a company dedicated to helping you succeed. Whether you train people for a living or you live to train, Matrix has the equipment to help you make it happen, and they have the guidance and support you need to make your best decisions. Matrix recently engaged performance coach Mark Fitzgerald as their head of performance, and his wealth of knowledge and experience in training people and building leading-edge performance spaces is unparalleled. Mark and the rest of the team at Matrix will stop at nothing to ensure you reach your objectives in human performance. For more information... And a free consultation, go to teamupwithmatrix.com forward slash CA and explore the possibilities today. Hey there, just want to circle back on some of the things we've done with reconditioning in the last little while. Um, we have all our courses online now, uh, R1 Foundations, R2 Designs, and our R3 Collab. These courses are available to you for purchase anytime you want. You can get on there and, and buy them anytime you'd like on our website, www.reconditioninghq.com. Throughout the year now, we're going to be running eight-week, once-a-week meetings where we teach up uh, and walk through some of the material as you're walking through. We're going to establish calendars. The first one starts for our R1 Foundations course, March 28th, where we just walk through all that information and make sure you understand it on a weekly basis. And if you can't come, we'll record the meetings and you can watch them later if you want. Uh, So it's really an opportunity for you to digest things at your pace with help and support. And we're going to do that in linking to a community we've created, the Reconditioning Revolution Mastermind Community. This is a private community where we're going to gather people who are in and interested in reconditioning and understanding the human performance world, networking with people, expanding your circle of influence. That's what this is all about. And touching and connecting with one another. We've been so distant from one another for so long now. This is all about bringing us together under that roof of reconditioning. And we're super excited about it. And lastly, just want to let you know the IHPS is on. I've been talking about it in this podcast with Mark Fitzgerald and it's Going to be rocking and rolling uh, June 10 to 12 in Mont-Tremblant, Quebec. You can find all of this information on our website. Again, reconditioninghq.com. We're back. Enjoy the rest of this podcast. I really find that um, the thread there very interesting. What, I'm going to ask you kind of, what did you learn? What have you learned about men working in in a men's environment that, call the typical woman wouldn't understand about men that you understand differently about them because you've worked in that environment for so long. It's not personal. Hmm. I think is, is something that's a little different um, between my experiences with a women's team and my experience with that men's team is Hmm. that the, the interpretation of what I say or what somebody's actions are don't usually have that same personal hit to it. And mm-hmm. I find that it, it's I can be just sort of like straight up, straightforward. I can say to a male football player, not all, certainly this is a blanket statement, but mm-hmm. I can say something that's that's quite straightforward. It's like, this isn't realistic. You're kind of out to lunch here on that. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to make that return to sport date. And so why are we having this conversation? Let's put it into real terms. And if you kind of go and you say, and I say that again to some of the females, not putting a blanket statement on, it, it, sometimes it's just a more personal statement. Mm-hmm. And I think you just have to sort of be aware in those environments. And I think a part of it comes from what a culture a coach makes, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important too, because I've had male teams with a different coach that have felt different than that football team has. And I've had female teams with a different coach that have felt different, but it really comes down to that culture. And there is a difference to me in that culture on a male team and a female team. Now culture and goals and responsibilities and um, accountabilities and all those things on great teams, they're all the same, Mm. right? We're all working to that common goal. We have that, you know, we have that thread for excellence and passion and accountability. So those parts of culture, you know, to me, in the really great teams are the same, but there is just a difference when you're in the, a room of 80 males and you're in a room of 15 females. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, to take it to the next step. When you start working with a national team versus a university team, what did you notice is the difference in the, um, 
I don't even know to find the right word, but call it the intensity or the the focus or the lens of professionalism that you you um, experienced the first time you worked at a, a women's national team camp or a women's national team tournament. Yeah. And I think you're exactly right with the word intensity mm. is it's, it certainly has a level of intensity at the university level. We have five years for them to play their sport and they're gone. Mm. We are thinking about, you know, their careers for the majority of them in that academic sense, in that job world, that's not sport afterwards, right? The accountant, the lawyer, the teacher, all those things. But in the, in that basketball world, this is their career, this is their profession, right? So it's not like you can like put the sport on hold and then go back and do classroom stuff. It's sport all the time. Mm. And so that intensity of, you know, if you aren't participating now, this is the tryout. Like there is no other one. Mm. You know, it's not like you can, you know, there's not something later for you in, in like the second half of the season because the tryout is now. And so everybody um, is trying to put their best foot forward, maybe not telling you everything because they're going to be doing it no matter what. And at the university level, when you make some decisions, you know, long-term health of that athlete, a longer season, another year, those are different decision-making processes than this athlete who is trying to make this team to make a World Cup team. It's, it's now or never. Mm-hmm. And so that level of, for me, accountability as a physiotherapist to know exactly what I think is going on, make the best decision and recommendations for them so they can perform, that's a, that's a different level of intensity for me. Mm-hmm. Working in performance sport, it's kind of funny when you said when you started it with the uh, your mom saying, you know, it's it's a hard hard life uh, owning a, a dance studio. You you decided to go into athletics, which is probably the parallel of the two two worlds. So as you're going through this, um, when do you meet your husband to be Ryan, and um, and how you know do you balance? establishing and building a relationship and and doing the kind of work that you had to do to commit yourself to on a daily basis. Yeah. And certainly like you choose not to go into medicine because you don't want to work evenings and weekends and the night shift. And then you change, you know, you select sport. (laughs) And all I do is work evenings and weekends and the night shift. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're right. If you want to do sport, that's when it happens. Um, For me, I was super fortunate that um, Ryan was the equipment manager for the football team. Mm. So, yeah. So I met him when I first started working with the football team and, uh, and I don't, hopefully he doesn't mind me telling this part of the story, but when Peter <laughs> took me over to football to introduce me to football, sort of in that August, you know, preseason day, I went over with Dale and him and he's like, you know, this is Sue. This is the coach. This is, you know, this is Ryan. He's the equipment manager. Just don't piss him off. <laughs> okay. Good to know. Um, so that was my first introduction was that, you know, this, you quickly learn like, who are your friends on this team, right? Mm-hmm. Who are the people that you need to kind of like make friends with, be happy. They'll be able to support you. And, and that's sort of what I got was like, don't piss them off. You know, if you need to fill a water bottle, you fill a water bottle. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that Peter said too, is like, no task is too small. Everybody can fill a water bottle, mm-hmm. you know? So I was, did a lot of that and hopefully kind of made a good first impression <laughs> when I was there <laughs> helping out when I could. Um, and so, and yeah, and so that's sort of where we met. And mm. fortunate for me, him coming from, he'd been there for, um, since 88. And so he'd been there for a few years. He understood in a similar way what being kind of dedicated to something is and what it takes to work with a team and what the hours are. And when you're in season, you're in season. Mm. And that's really what takes priority. And so I was really lucky in, in finding someone who kind of got my passion and um, and understood, you know, when I had this job at the university that, you know, what Fridays and Saturday nights are, they're a gym or a rink. Mm-hmm. And, you know, almost to the fail where he, like, he came, he knew all the athletes. Um, this is what we did on the weekends to when I left the university and took this job here in private practice, we didn't know what to do. Like, what do people do on Fridays and Saturday nights? You know, because we sat in a gym. 
Yeah. You know, and we enjoyed watching the sports teams and celebrating their successes. And and certainly I was working and I had to go down onto the ice or I had to go and see somebody in the locker room or whatever. Um, but I was just really lucky that he enjoyed the same things that I did. And I mean, he certainly was a sports widow for a really long time, um, <laughs> especially with like national teamwork. Like mm-hmm. you go away for a long time. Mm-hmm. And you travel for, you know, a two-week block and you're at a training camp for a two-week block. And and that was my holidays, right? Mm-hmm. Which meant that was his holidays as well. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, when I look at sport and what we do, having someone that, you know, gets you and you can be together with with 30, 30 years is not very common. Mm-hmm. You get to travel a lot working with a national team like that to a lot of really uh, obscure and interesting places over time. Um, what, what was your, what was your favorite trip you ever did and why? Oh, wow. When you say obscure, absolutely. You know, some of the Fichu games were, you know, Kazan, Russia is obscure. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the places that we've been in China with women's basketball have been obscure. Um <laughs> I think for me, and you know, it, it's funny, it's it's not about where we were, but what we did there. And mm. so I think one of my best trips, you know, it, with the national team, with women's basketball, is being down in Argentina, mm. um, in Buenos Aires, and we beat Argentina in Argentina in this little gym that was so against us, <laughs> you know, and they're just like... <laughs> It was almost depressive and we knew it was coming and it was a team that, you know, we've had good battles against and for Canada basketball to move to that next level, we should be beating a team like Argentina. Now that should be something that happens. And so when we were down there and we were able to do that, it was just like unbelievable and crazy. Right. I mean, I remember walking around Buenos Aires and seeing the place, but you don't see very much, right. You see, you know, a street, a gym, you know, a a restaurant, Mm -hmm. But it's, it's what we were able to accomplish in some of those team experiences. I think that makes it the most exciting place that we've been to. Mm-hmm. Why do you end up, um, so I'm, I'm understanding that you left the Saskatchewan job to go into private practice with Bruce's facility. Mm-hmm. When do you meet Bruce and how does he impact your life? And then why do you decide to move into private clinical practice? Yeah, so when I took the job at the university, um, right at the beginning, I started out um, in the phys ed building that was there in in Peter Friesen's old office, and I was only there for a month, and Mm. the building got condemned, and we were basically out. And so you basically took the stuff that you could grab and you left the building and we didn't go back in. And from there, we had uh, we ended up getting a new facility on campus over the next year. And Bruce, when he was working with the Sports Medicine and Science Council of Saskatchewan, him and Travis had offices in the physio clinic. Mm. And so basically, we kind of shared space for a number of years when I was the head therapist there and he was still working for the council and he actually was my mentor kind of got me through my sport physio exams. And so when I had came come back to Saskatoon to take that job, we started working on um, going towards my certificate exam for sport physiotherapy and um, basically worked with him. And so super influential for me as a sport physio, um, kind of just developing my skills. And if anybody knows Bruce, my exercise fizz abilities and capabilities, and just um, really getting into the nitty gritty of some sports. And I think he was, um, for me, working with him and all of the track and field athletes really was awesome to be able to kind of learn about running, learning about that running form, learn about the exercise physiology behind running and, um, and uh, be able to kind of like pick his brain on a daily basis. Cause we shared some space. Mm. Um, That's some, so, oh, go sorry, go ahead. You were going to say something else. Well, just with sort of deciding to leave the university, mm-hmm. you know, I'd been there for a number of years, um, over 20, you know, started there with them in 89 and left there in 18 after being a student and whatnot. But I think for me at that time, I was thinking, how much longer can I do this schedule and how mm-hmm. much longer do I want to do this schedule? And is it the opportunity 
um, to kind of look at being semi-retired. And, and I'll say it honestly, that's 40 hours a week when you leave sport at the university. <laughs> um, and in Saskatoon, as I was thinking, and, you know, and part of that is driven by like how much longer is Ryan going to entertain this lifestyle and how much longer, you know, is he interested in hanging out in, in gyms and, and rinks. And so in Saskatoon for me, it was, it was kind of like, where do I want to work? I want to still work in sport and I want to be in a private practice. And, and certainly that relationship with Bruce and then is um, also with Karen. I mean, I took, you know, both owners here at Craven Sports Services, I took a ton of courses with Karen and did a lot of um, my education with her and we did our exams together. And so having both of them at this facility for me was like kind of a no brainer to say, hey, I'm thinking of maybe changing, moving on a little bit. Um, you know, would you be interested in me coming to work there? And I was I was nervous because I was really niched. I saw 17 to 25-year-olds for 20 years mm. at a university setting. And, you know, I wasn't sure what I had to offer a private practice when you could see everything that comes mm. in the door. But both of them were like, yes, come, great. And, you know, that was kind of it. It was done. And I um, decided to kind of move over to here and I was able to keep some of that kind of basketball stuff going. So I still had a really good high performance opportunity with them. Mm. At some, I'm sure at some point in this whole process, you start converting from being a doer to a, a mentor and you're overseeing a lot of, whether it's student people working with you and then in the clinic, perhaps interns. And what, what do you enjoy about that sort of giving back piece uh, and what do you learn about yourself in doing it? Yeah, it was certainly my biggest thought about am I ready to leave the university was the students and the opportunity to be involved in kind of like doing what others had done for me, sharing their passion, getting somebody excited about the next path. Um, being available and, and ready to help them if they're ready to help me and kind of you cover my team. I got all the time in the world for you. You're excited about something. Let's talk about it. Let's spend some time together. And so I had amazing opportunities with these students to watch them go on and really lucky to see, you know, some of them are with national teams. Some of them are with university programs. Uh, a lot of them were able to achieve their goals all over the place, like physios, nurses, docs, all that sort of thing. And so in the opportunity to come and, and work at, at another clinic, it's like, can I take that same sort of mentorship that I've had with students at that level for so long? And I can, can I take it to the professional? And that's really what I wanted to be able to do here as well, because it's really what gives me joy. I mean, treating the patient, seeing their successes, getting an athlete on the field after a big injury and seeing that first, you know, first tackle is, is phenomenal, right? And watching somebody achieve their sporting goals. But I think for me too, that passion comes from sort of getting somebody in the profession to just kind of think about something and just see that light bulb turn on and then just see them start, you know, with the wheels turning and they're like, oh, but what about this? And this would be something else, or I should look into that. And you're like, yeah, go with it. That's exactly where we want to go with this thought process, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that for me, I want to still get that excitement from the profession. And maybe after, you know, treating and, and, and seeing people for 25 years, the passion for me comes from like seeing the joy in that new grad. We have a few of them at our clinic and just seeing them put the pieces together mm -hmm. and being able to just help them kind of get there maybe faster or in a different way, just because of my experiences that I've had um, along the way and share them with that. So mm -hmm. for me, the ability here to spend, you know, time with a therapist, see a patient with them, debrief it afterwards, help them get ready for their exams. That's what I'm really enjoying mm -hmm. still. And I'm hoping that that, you know, keeps giving me joy for the next <laughs> few years while I'm in my 40 hour a week retirement, semi-retirement. <laughs> I'm curious, actually, because I, um, you know, I spent 10 years in an institutional framework and doing that kind of thing, but it was in the 90s. And I'm just kind of wondering um, what you've noticed in your career in mentoring, you know, the younger student now. How have they changed in both a good and bad ways over the last 25 years that you've noticed, like in the way they 
bring themselves to the work or the curiosity differences or, or even things that like technology have affected the way they, they think and do uh, and, you know, access to information, all these things. What, what have you noticed about today's student versus the student of 20, 25 years ago? I'll say right now, I'm the only person here that has textbooks on their shelf. <laughs> um, and just grabbing that in quick access, none of them have a textbook. Right. And it's and so for me, like it's like, oh, you, you know, somebody came in yesterday. Oh, how are you with like throwing shoulder mechanics? I got a, a ball player. And so it's like, oh, here's the athlete's shoulder textbook. Oh, cool. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's kind of like a little mini Bible. It has what you need all in one place and you don't have to go find it. Um, and so the access to information, um, it's so much easier for them. It's there. It's everywhere. But the challenge is it's not all good. Right. And how do we kind of help them decipher sort of those good references versus others? I think when it comes to some of the, the students, their goals are the same. They want to get into whatever that career path is. Them, they And they're all high achievers. Um, they're all kind of mark driven. And my gosh, the mark driven part has changed for sure because the averages are so high. Mm-hmm. And the, the requirements to get into a, a post-secondary sort of um, post-degree program are so high that the stress levels for them to get that 90-something plus is just like none other. And it it really trumps their ability to do as much as they maybe would have in the past. And I think that they're all interested in volunteering. They're all interested in having these experiences. But there's such a challenge to get into these programs now that we see a little less time available. Somebody used to do a whole season of basketball for me. They'd go to every practice. Now it's divided over three people because they need to have a day off. They have to have a job. They have to have more time to study. And so that part has, has definitely um, changed as to what, they, what they're what they able to do because of the challenges of trying to get into the school that they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is uh, a bit of an arms race when it comes to education these days. <laughs> I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd want to be starting my career now to, to a degree, but... I'm thinking um, about, you know, did I have the marks to get in? <laughs> exactly. I would not have been doing what I'm doing today. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to read, uh, I read from a book called The Day You Were Born that uh, kind of reads your purpose based on this lady, Linda Joyce, who wrote this book and combined astrology with numerology. So you were born October 4th, correct? Yep. All right. So you are a Libra 4. So your purpose is to develop your inner world and personal truth well enough so that you can ignore the endless crisis and distractions that will cross your path as you change and grow, pursuing truth and justice. Courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. Billy Graham. Brave isn't enough to describe... The spirit of the Libra Fours, they have courage that can break through barriers and change the lives of others. They need to make sure they don't get hooked on the fast pace, the desire for tension, and for the need to keep things exciting. Relationships are hard because they change from moment to moment. Always reaching new insights, they seek unity, but unless they work from the inside and move towards wholeness, they'll find themselves still on the outside trying to enter by breaking through. The Libra Four can either be close to the truth or observe it from afar. If they choose the role of the loner, they'll be very analytical. If they position themselves in the center, then they can become the negotiator of difficult relationships. They often enjoy the role of the rebel. They dislike tradition and authority. Interesting. Resonates for you or not. (laughs) Some of it for sure. Actually, probably more of it than I expected. (laughs) It's a fun little thing I do with people. Um, For for, uh, the young woman listening to you because you've done, you've had such a an, an impressive career Rhonda and what you've done and what you've established um what are what are some of your call it recommendations to that young person on you know how to craft and create success for themselves in an in a world that is still um you know performance sport that is a, still to a degree dominated by men what what do you what do you do to to you know climb that ladder in essence when you're looking up yeah that's a great question because it's not the you know i get asked often by the, some of the people that i've had the opportunity to work with about what what should i be doing and you know unfortunately a lot of it is 
is taking opportunities that come your way, paid or unpaid. And that's mm. a challenge, is to, to have the opportunity to get out there and volunteer and have a diversity of experiences. And I mm. think that's partly what I've had an opportunity um, in my sort of life in that it wasn't just sport. And I think mm. having those other opportunities within the dance environment, within a band and music and all those sorts of um, other experiences all bring something really unique to the table that I've certainly drawn from mm. in all of the different weird and challenging situations that is sport. You know, and, and a female in sport, I think has to be really confident in what they know. And, and I, I don't know if, again, this is my mom's expression, but like, you don't come to a, you never come to a fight without a loaded gun, which means do your research <laughs> before, learn what you can so that you can kind of be cool and calm in the situation. And I think if that preparation happens um, and it might mean that you have to kind of go do some things beforehand, if you get an opportunity to go in or invited to hang out with a, a certain sport, you know, spend a little bit of time and learn about it so that you look like you were interested so that you can have a conversation comfortably. You have something to say, you can um, feel confident in contributing to a conversation. And I think being able to talk to people when you have opportunities, um, asking them questions, picking their brains, getting some information from them. I've, I, I'm sure there's coaches that I've worked with that are like, please stop asking me because my question is, well, how come you're doing this? Well, what about that guy with that? Who you tried to change this? What was that for? Because I'm trying to learn as much as I can from all the different people that I had an opportunity to interact with. And I think when I take those experiences um, and those opportunities, they just give me more comfort level, more confidence to be in different situations um, and, and be able to, to be myself, to be able to contribute. And again, I think like what you had just read to me there, I am a lot on the outside. I'm an observer. I watch. I see what the dynamics are. I see where I can fit in. And I'm happy to just kind of listen. But at the same sense, if I'm in my element and I'm in a confident state, I have no problems contributing. I have no problems getting involved in a conversation or, or giving an opinion. And I think for someone who wants to get out there, you, you just can't be that quiet person. You have to mm. be confident to ask a question, get involved and show some interest and show some preparation for those experiences because I think that's what maybe opened the door for me is when I got there I worked hard I, I tried to fit in I tried to learn what the environment and the culture was of where I was so that I got invited back took advantage of those things but certainly I volunteered a lot you know, I took advantage of every opportunity to learn from someone, go to something, be involved with something. And I think all of those experiences that were so diverse and eclectic really helped me get into an opportunity where I was able to express and shine, maybe. Awesome. I'm just wondering, you, you may not relate to this question, but I'm just kind of curious, what... What's been the biggest cost of that investment of time and effort in into your profession for you? So, sort of side effect cost, maybe call it a negative in some sense, but it doesn't have to be negative, but I kind yeah. of look at it like that. I think for me, I mean, and I'm sure Ryan would say, and I came about it honestly from my dad, is that workaholic mentality hmm. is that, I I don't say didn't I'm better now I didn't say no a lot and I and I did everything right and I and I kind of bent over backwards for the for a, for the program for an athlete for a student and it is kind of all consuming and I worked a lot of hours a week for a lot of weeks and a lot of months and a lot of years years and I think um, I'm I was very much aware of. I like to do other things, you know, so I, I like to go to the theater. I like to go hear a concert. I like to go and watch the ballet. And some of those things didn't happen because they were on a day I had to do something else. Mm -hmm. And so trying to find that balance, I think, through um, the sport world, the university time is a challenge. And um, unfortunately, if you don't have that time and you can't commit to all those hours, it's really hard to get in the door. And mm -hmm. so I think that's the biggest, biggest thing for me and that I'm trying to take away from it now is, is, you know, when I always had the rule, like when sports, when the season's over, there's no sports in the off season. Like we're done. We're not going to go watch the riders. We're not doing other stuff because I've watched enough sport, you know, and I need to have something else in my life as well. 
But even now here, like I said, when you, all you did was work, 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 work for so long, you have to kind of find and build up those other creativities, those other passions, those other things, because for such a long time, you know, sport and work was, was all consuming. Hmm. Last question. If you ran into Rhonda pre, pre getting the job at USASC, what would you say to her in the hallway today? Well, I think what I would say is, is that job is yours for the taking. You, you have the skills, you know, you have the passion for it, and you just have to have the confidence to believe that it should be your job. And I think that that was the thing that I just never was sure about. And, uh, and certainly if I look back now, yeah, you just need to believe that that's something that you could have gotten. Mm, cool. Thank you very much for taking the time. It's been really neat to learn about your story and uh, you've obviously accomplished a lot in your career. So I thank you for sharing. Well, thanks so much for inviting me. I had a good time. That's cool. Good. Well, you have a good rest of your night and, uh, and, and I'll let you know when the podcast is released. Okay. That sounds awesome. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Payne, and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome. <laughs>